Well, I decided to meet on our porch once again to teach this last teaching in the first section of our How Shall We Then Live series. Um, The whole series is about how to connect with God and how to conduct ourselves in a relationship with God, how to pray, how to listen, how to pray and be in connection with God. And I was just remembering back um, to my seminary days, and uh, it seemed like the whole idea behind seminary was we weren't going to take anything by faith. We were going to question everything. It was like a skeptical attitude over the whole seminary. And uh, if God couldn't prove it to our rational mind so that we could figure it out, then if we could figure it out in our heads, then we'd be willing to believe it. But otherwise, we weren't children anymore, and we were just not going to accept anything that we couldn't understand with our heads. So this was the attitude, but after you know, several years of that, I began to realize this isn't going anywhere. And uh, the hunger in my heart to know God was overpowering that whole tendency of skepticism and I decided to make a, a diff- to make a, a change and to, to walk a different way of what has always been called um, in, in the past experimental Christianity, which is a different way than that skeptical one that I learned in seminary. Okay, with experimental Christianity, You let God show you things in his word, and if it's in his word, you say, well, I'm going to try it and see what happens. So you're not going to let your mind stand off and say, well, God, prove it. Instead, you're going to say, God, I'm willing to learn by stepping into whatever it is in the word, and I'm going to try it, and I'm going to ask you to show me what you mean by it and what you want from me in it. And so this was, this was turning the whole Christian life into a great adventure, and it's been an adventure ever since. So I've been walking this way for 48, 49, almost 50 years now, and it's really been a, a good experience for me. I can say after that length of time, I recommend experimental Christianity to you, to anybody. It's, it's, it will turn your life into a real adventure, a good adventure. Well, that required me to gain two uh, basic faith uh, beliefs, uh, two basic beliefs in my belief system. One is that the Bible is going to be the pattern that I'm going to follow. I'm going to follow the Bible. I had learned how to believe in the Bible when, uh, when I was young. Okay, it was a basic part of the Presbyterian church as I was growing up, that the Bible is the Word of God. I uh, didn't always understand what that meant, but it, I did believe in it. And so now I'm saying, all right, I'm, I'm going to really... I'm going to really accept this for myself. The Bible is the word of God, and what if it's in the Bible, then I'm going to accept that, and it's part of God's plan for my life. And the, the second thing 
that I decided to believe, and I've never had reason not to believe it over 48 or 49 years now, um, God gives no bad gifts. He only gives good gifts. So whenever there's a gift that God wants to give us, I'm going to trust that that is going to be a good thing for me. Um, so God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's kind of a, 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 an early verse that the Holy Spirit gave me from Hebrews 11. And I, I, I took a hold of that, and, and basically it says God doesn't give any bad gifts. If you're looking to God and you're asking Jesus to give you his gifts and to teach you his ways, you can trust that it's going to be good. So uh, immediately, almost immediately, my faith in these two things came up to the acid test because I was confronted with the gift of tongues or praying in the spirit. Okay, this was the, the height of the charismatic movement. Uh, everybody was talking about tongues. Charismatic movement was called the tongues movement sometimes. And I was, I was having to deal with this. And uh, what would I think of it? You know, I'm coming out of, of seminary with all of this intellectual training and skepticism. But here I am still dealing with this hunger in my heart and wanting to know God. And here's a, a, a pattern that is scriptural. And I'm having to start believing that God doesn't give any bad gifts, so it's got to be good. And what am I going to do with this? So there was a book that was coming out right then uh, by John Sherrill. They speak with other tongues that tried to give some answers to people who had never really discovered this. So I read that. I read a bunch of other books um, that, that were going around, listened to a pile of cassette tapes, trying to get a handle on what this was all about. And I did a lot of study for myself, because for me, study has been always an important part of things, um, even though I'm, I'm going to end up saying, well, uh, I'm going to just believe your word. And that's you don't have to study at all, but I thought I'd share with you some of the things that I have studied, just in case you're the same kind of person I am. You want to have all the answers that you can get. So tongues, where does this come from? It's something that happened in the New Testament church. God was pouring out this thing called praying in the spirit, where the tongue was simply welling up as people experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit from the hand of Jesus on the day of Pentecost and in subsequent experiences of that outpouring and so tongues was a part of it. And they were, they were having to figure this out, too. And so um, for about two to three hundred years, it was a general part of the Christian life and commonly experienced in Christian communities. But then it began to die out around the time of Augustine, the fourth century on into the fifth century, um, it seems to have died out, but Augustine uh, talks about um, another thing called jubilation. And as, as he and others describe this jubilation, what I think it was, was something that I was experiencing. 
um, during the charismatic movement where a whole room full of people will suddenly start singing in tongues and expressing this joy uh, from the congregation of God's people. So I think that this is where the final um, experience of tongues was just in, in whole bodies of believers singing in tongues and allowing that the joy of the Lord to just overcome the whole worshiping community. But then that also died out somewhere around the 5th or 6th century, and you don't hear about that anymore. But what I have tried to, to show in my Glory Through Time teaching is that um, that was a time of, of vast changes in the Western Church. Okay, we're talking about the Church of Rome and the church that's going out to the West from Jerusalem. And, uh, and what I show in my Glory Through Time teaching is that a lot of changes were happening. And it's, it's a change from what I call by my spirit Christianity into power and might Christianity, where church leaders are going to be looking to worldly power rather than the power of the Holy Spirit. So you see a lot of changes right then. And the loss of the gift of tongues is something you might almost expect considering the wider changes that were happening in the body of Christ. And of course, with worldly power, there comes corruption, and you're starting to see a lot of corruption in the church uh, with the worldly power coming in. But I believe that as we trace the, the, the history of the Western church, we see from about the 16th century on, God reintroducing the Holy Spirit. Not everything all at once, but starting to show people the power of the presence of God in the Holy Spirit and bringing people back, starting with the basic gift of regeneration, uh, where he uh, makes your spirit come alive and Jesus Christ dwelling in your heart by faith and Suddenly the word comes alive and so many things happen. And then you move through and you discover people, people are learning how to listen to God and they're hearing the voice of God in their spirit. And time moves along and, and you have the holiness movement and you have all these different pieces of the life in the spirit. And the reason it's taking so long is we're slow learners. We're just slow. And, uh, you know, if it, if it isn't exactly what... We learned when we were growing up, it's hard to open up to a new thing that, or something that feels new even though it's old. And so people have been reluctant to change. The church has been a slow learner um, as God wants us to get back to a by my spirit style. But I believe he wants everything for all of his people as we learn these different aspects of how to walk in the Spirit. So, praying in tongues, praying in the Spirit, is a part of the pattern in the Word. And so that's why I'm teaching it here, and it's because also I've learned that it's an important part of my prayer life, and it's an important part of connecting with God, of intercessory prayer, of worship, even in um, community worship. It can be very, very significant as it was in Augustine's time. 
Um, and it's part of a, a broader picture of um, receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a power for witness and service. So along in about 18, 1800s, 1820s, we see um, people connected with revivals starting to teach on receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit as a power for witness and service. So Charles Finney was among the first to do this. And of course, Finney was greatly used by God. And then you have D.L. Moody, Dwight Moody, uh, taught the baptism with the Holy Spirit. Then his uh, subsequent president of the Chicago Bible Institute, which became the Moody Bible Institute, R.A. Torrey taught the baptism of the Holy Spirit as an experience of, uh, of receiving empowerment for uh, ministry and service. And he went on a worldwide tour of, uh, of, of, well, bringing revival wherever he went, Australia, New Zealand. He went up into Wales and he found the, Whale, the Welsh church very, very dead. But he prayed for the Welsh church, and right after that, uh, the Welsh church came into revival, the Welsh revival. Um, and um, um, as they experienced the power of the Holy Spirit working in uh, the Welsh church, Evan Roberts then connected with some folks in Los Angeles. They began praying for the folks in Los Angeles that were uh, writing back and forth, corresponding. And sure enough, revival broke out, broke out in Los Angeles, um, led by a uh, black man blind in one eye, his name William Seymour. Seymour had come from Topeka, Kansas, where he had been with a guy named Charles Parham. And Charles Parham uh, and his little group of, of intercessors there um, uh, were praying for the gift of tongues because they saw it was in Scripture. They saw that it was not a part of their experience. They wanted to have that. They specifically asked for it. Um, I've written about this. Brad Long and I have written about this in our book, Receiving the Power. And uh, let me read for you one experience that they had in Topeka that was witnessed by William Seymour to give you an idea um, where Charles Parham is saying, I had scarcely repeated three dozen sentences when a glory fell upon her, this is Miss Agnes Osmond, and a halo seemed to surround her head and face. She began speaking in the Chinese language and was unable to speak English for three days. So that was one of the very first experiences. And it was a humdinger, you know. It was like God was doing something Clearly, that was supernatural. You couldn't say this is just a psychological thing. Um, you couldn't just say, well, you're just making it up. This is something that God clearly did. William Seymour then went uh, to Los Angeles, formed a prayer group there, and eventually that prayer group, who had been praying for uh, revival, moved to this very humble place, a place that had been used as a stables, full of manure, full of just awful stuff, and they had to clean the place up, and, and this was where God chose 
to come for the next season of great revival. Well, one of the things that happened during the Azusa Street revival was tongues. God poured out tongues to a lot of people. And and it was something significant. Significant partly because, again, the context was a supernatural outpouring of the Spirit of God similar to what you read in the Bible. Okay, so there were not just tongues of fire, but there were literally flames leaping up from the, from the Azusa Street locale, the, the, that humble building that they had to clean out the manure of, and God was literally pouring out fire from heaven. They called the, the, the fire engines to put it out, but it wasn't a real fire. It was a sign from heaven that just looked like fire, sort of like Moses uh, and the burning bush that didn't consume the bush. That's, that's the kind of fire it was. And then there was this, this weird cloud um, that they call Shekinah, the Shekinah glory cloud that came in. It would just hover inside the building among the people worshiping there. And it, it was not like any cloud that you ever saw. Um, it had its own unique characteristics. So things like this were happening. Huge healings, limbs growing back out, all kinds of stuff that was clearly God. It wasn't just something psychological. And tongues was a part of this. So you see, it was an amazing, it was an amazing time for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people. They came to this place, the presence of God was there, and tongues was a part of it. And so out of that came the Pentecostal denominations. Now, most of those denominations developed denominational doctrines. And one of the denominational doctrines that you often have with the Pentecostals is that tongues is the initial evidence of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer. So that came out as as a denominational doctrine And a lot of people who have been raised in those denominations believe that tongues is the initial evidence uh, in the life of a believer. Now, I did not get raised in that kind of background. And uh, I have found that actually that doctrine can do a lot of damage because it's telling Christians who have followed Jesus all of their lives that they don't have the Holy Spirit if they don't speak in tongues. And I heard an interesting statement from um, Jack Hayford. Jack Hayford is one of the great Pentecostal leaders of our time, one of the most respected teachers uh, from this classical Pentecostal tradition. And he said he wished that uh, his people hadn't made that statement, hadn't treated tongues as though it were the initial evidence of the Holy Spirit in the life of a a believer. Because then what happens is people will speak in tongues once just to prove that they've got the Holy Spirit, and then they never speak in tongues anymore. And and he felt like tongues is an enormously important gift that we should be using every day of our lives. That's the way I feel about tongues. And so... um, Teaching this denominational teaching that tongues is the initial evidence uh, seems to me, and I think seems to Jack Hayford also, to be kind of a um, not a very functional, almost a counterproductive teaching 
um, to what God intends, which is that tongues would be a, just simply a prayer life for us. It would be a part of our prayer. And so now let's get at what is tongues and how do we open our lives to it. The Bible says that there are basically two things um, that tongues will do for you. First of all, it will edify you. Um, prophesy edifies the body of believers. Tongues edifies us in ourselves. And uh, so let me give you an example of that. Sometimes I will be under a lot of self-condemnation. I think it's actually the enemy accusing me of things. Now, maybe you don't believe in the enemy accusing people of things, but I've come to believe in that. And uh, so I'll be under this kicking myself for some stupid thing that I did uh, or some sin that I've committed or anything like that. Uh, but... Uh, it's really weird sometimes when I'm in that kind of frame of mind. I'll just start speaking in tongues. I'll just start praying in tongues. I believe God has that for me to battle this attitude of self-condemnation and self-loathing that, that I have for me. And it's a way of building me up, edifying me. Let me, let me read to you uh, what James says about God. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. Yeah, that's the way God really is. And yet, how come I think that he's finding fault with me all the time, or I'm finding fault with me all the time? Well, God has provided a way for us to do battle with that, and it's the gift of tongues. So this is one of the things that I believe tongues will do for us. It edifies myself. The other thing is, um, Paul says in Romans 8 and then again in Ephesians 6, but he's mainly in Romans 8, he says, the Spirit intercedes for the saints or with the saints according to the will of God. So we don't know how to pray as we ought, but he gives us other ways of prayer, which is tongues. Also, he says, sighs and groans too deep for words. So let me share with you my own experience with my wife, Carla. We've done a lot of prayer over the years together. Um, intercessory prayer, uh, burden, burdens that God gives us. And sometimes uh, when, I'm, when we're deep in prayer together, uh, she will burst into tears. She will burst into just actually weeping for situations that we have this burden for from the Lord. At the same time, I will go into this rebuking tongue. This is, sounds, someone said it sounds like a Jewish mama scolding her children. And, and, and I don't know what I'm saying. I have no idea. She doesn't know why she's crying either. But she'll go into this weeping. I'll go into this rebuking tongue. And we know after a, a while that this is to stop, and so it lifts. And, uh, and this, is, this is an example of how tongues works in intercessory prayer. So I'm just giving you my own experience of this, why it, it's not just something you do to prove you have the Holy Spirit. It's something that God wants for a purpose, for, your, for the rest of your life. And it's a part of our walk with him. It's a part of our relationship with him. So then how do we open up to the gift of tongues? And um, this, of course, is 
where it all leads to, you know, it's not just an intellectual teaching, but I'm hoping that you will um, have an experiment of faith with this. Okay, experimental Christianity, it's in the Bible. The Bible is good, God gives no bad gifts, so hey, why not try it and see what happens? So how do you do this? It's um, ABC, simple, ABC, ask, believe, confess. Ask for it because it's in the scriptures. Believe that God is giving it to you because he said he would. And then confess that you have received it, which at least for me, oftentimes confession means simply thanking God for it. Um, or it can mean telling somebody else, hey, I prayed for the gift of tongues and I, I believe I received it. And uh, ask, believe, confess. Now, asking. Uh, I find asking and believing for the gift of tongues goes something like this. And I've, I've been helping people to do this for a long time, like 48 years. It goes something like this. Um, you, you specifically in words ask God to give the gift to you. Then you decide you're not going to speak or pray in English right now. Because what you're asking for is the gift of tongues, which is not praying with your mind, and it's not praying in English or your whatever native language you learned. It's not with your mind. So you're almost going to turn your mind off, and you're going to see if God gives you in your kind of your spirit or your your it's it's like a quiet set of sounds that He's inviting you to speak out of your mouth. And you're just going to speak those words out of your mouth. Now, a lot of people think that the gift of tongues, when it happens, is going to be this great emotional encounter with God. Well, it was that at the beginning on Azusa, at Topeka, at some of these early locations uh, around the globe where people were opening their lives to it. But most people, in my experience, um, it's a very gentle thing. And it's almost a step of faith that you have to take um, and, and then see what happens. Like I said, it's an adventure. You just, you try it. You see, if, if you get some words, you speak them out and, and you just develop that as a, a life of prayer and see what happens. So it can become an adventure. Um, and then believe. Um, as things happen, believe that that's, that's God, and then you're going to move in that, you're going to develop that, and just see what happens. So, uh, neither Carla and I got a really great emotional experience. We've had emotional experiences later, but not at the beginning of speaking in tongues. We found that it, it had to be for us, both of us, simply a step of faith, ask, believe, confess. And um, God, God has used it tremendously in the ways that I've shared, many other ways that are too much for an opening teaching like this. So all I can do is recommend this. Well, we are um, at the end of describing what, what I believe to be the pattern 
of teaching in the scriptures about how to connect with God. You know, going into a room by yourself, um, all of these things, the Lord's Prayer being a pattern, um, and then the gift of tongues, all of these things, how to do it. And now we're going to be going into other patterns as we move into the next series of teachings, the pattern of faith working through love.